Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here today with my friend and chavruta, Erdina Azband. We're on Daf Membet of Masachat Brachot 42. Now, this Daf opens with an interesting phenomenon in the spectrum of what we eat as bread. Okay, there's regular bread, we call it bread. There's that we call, let's say, cookies, cake, pretzels, anything that's, you know, Nowadays, it's like the, the gluten family of things that are not bread. Um, and those, let's call them snacks or dessert foods. And then the Gemara gives a, has a category called patababakistin, which is food that is not dessert. It is not a snack. It is being eaten as a meal. And it is akin to bread, but it is not fully bread. So it's kind of tricky. Like, what are the ingredients of it? And the idea is that the ingredients do not match up with bread. The ingredients match up with all these other Mizonote foods, or some of them anyway. Um, I tried to find out exactly what the origin of this term pat habakisnin is. Pat means bread. Habakisnin means it comes together with, and then what's kisnin? So some people think that kisnin means like from the word kis for a pocket. And then you would have, let's say, you have your, your bread item and it's folded together with or filled together with nuts or almonds or honey, something that makes it more desserty to begin with, and that it makes it into some kind of snack item as opposed to bread on which the, the idea is that in, the, in this world, in the, Gemara, the world of the Gemara, and really for a long time since then, but not particularly in our world now, people would be koveya suda. They would establish their meal upon the bread. Now, we do that on Shabbat. We do that on Chag. We... We have, we have hamotzi, we have challah, in order to establish the meal. But it is not the natural part of the meal in the way that it once was. Maybe if you're having sandwiches, right, then you're making a meal on bread. Um, when I first learned about Padababa Kisnin, I was in Michala for the year. This goes back some time. And not only did I learn about Padababa Kisnin um, in the halacha class, but I also, for the first time, saw people who ate their meal, their main meal of the day, which was a meat meal or a chicken meal. And with, you know, you have your main protein, chicken, schnitzel, something, and a vegetable and a starch, whatever. And they would always wash and bench on bread, not because they wanted to wash and bench for the sake of the brachot of it, but because they ate the bread together, they ate the food together with the bread, that the bread was like, I don't want to call it a spoon, but it was like part and parcel of the eating of the rest of the plated meal. So I found this very interesting even back then. And I think that it's relevant to the fact that when we are koveya suda, when we are establishing our meal on bread, bread has an identity all its own in the establishment of a suda. Now, our Gemara here brings an example on how we get to Padababikistin. Rav Huna Achal Tlesar Rifte B'nei Tlata Tlata Bakaba V'lo Barech. Rav Huda had 13 different loaves, loaves, like some kind of sweet bread. Uh, I don't mean sweet breads like brains. I mean, sweetened loaves of bread. Let's call them cake. Let's call them uh, sweet loaves, right? Meaning they are a version of bread that, are, that do not count as bread because they are too sweet to be considered bread. The main item in there is going to be either there's going to be too much honey or too much fruit or something like that. And he didn't bench. He did not bench afterwards, right? Presumably he said, he had 13 of them. Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says, what do you mean he didn't bench? That He was so hungry. He just ate so much of that. 
right? He should. The question is, shouldn't he have benched if he ate that much? And the Gemara answer is like, no. When we're going to come to, to talk about Padababakisnin, there's a machloket, whether you bench on it or, do you, or if you do not. And the question is, how much does it take to bench on it, as opposed to a small amount of bread is enough to bench on, real bread is enough to bench on. So it, it does get complicated. I would say that we have here a spectrum of, let's say, as I said, full-on bread, and then Padababakisnin, which is, things that are not bread otherwise, but if you eat them enough, then you're suddenly being established, you're establishing your meal upon them. And then they, then they get, they get this identity of something you may in fact have to bench for. So this is particularly tricky. And Yodena, you know, we were talking about this before, it becomes a little bit tricky in a world where we don't have bread as the natural thing upon which we establish our meals that are not halachic meals. Right. If I sit, to, sit down to lunch and I'm having a salad, the odds are very, very high that I'm going to turn down bread. You know, I'm not going to take it in my house and I'm going to turn it down if I'm in a cafe because I, I don't want the calories. I don't want the carbs or whatever it is. We eat in a very different way than once upon a time. And beyond that, we, we were talking about the fact that, you know, you can you can nowadays you can establish a big meal. You can have a fancy meal in a fancy restaurant or, you know, my example is my family um, does Thanksgiving. We're an American family you know, for many generations. And we do Thanksgiving in a traditional family gathering kind of way. There's no, you know, there's nothing religious about it in that sense, but there's turkey and there's mashed potatoes and there's no bread at the table. There's there's no bazonos at the table. Maybe there's stuffing. But right, meaning the idea is that you then say, Borein, if I showed this very short, thank you for this sumptuous filling meal, we eat in a different way. So the phenomenon of, which I think, you know, the, the rabbi who taught about this in Michalai back in the day, he had it as a pet topic, I think, because people didn't know about it. And, and people really don't know about it. We hear about it sometimes in the context of a mizonot roll on an airplane or some kind of a caterer will tell you, oh, that's a mizonot roll. And the question is, is there such a thing as a mizonot roll? If you're being kovea suuda on that, quote unquote, mizonot roll, it's a food item that wouldn't necessarily be considered bread, but because you're taking your cake, quote unquote, or your pretzels or your some other kind of mizona food and making your meal upon it. Suddenly it has this identity of bread and maybe you should be benching. Maybe we should be benching on that Thanksgiving dinner because we're certainly full, even if we haven't had bread or pathababa kismet. So, Anne, I agree with you. I think the whole way of seeing how meals and the Gemara are just very different than how they're structured today and what does that mean practically for how, what blessings we make or when we bench is just very interesting. Our meals are not centered around bread and wine anymore. And, um, you know, I, I think more often than not, you can go to a fancy restaurant, as you mentioned, have a really great delicious meal and you don't have bread with it. Um, so what does that mean in terms of what blessing you make before, but more importantly, what blessing you make afterwards if you bench or not? Um, and certainly I think with more people today having particular types of medical issues that prevent them from maybe eating bread or things like that, um, just what meals look like and what constitutes a meal, that certainly has shifted from the times of the Gemara. Um, I want to talk about something a little bit different today, and I'm really, it's more just a question. Um, I don't have an answer. It's something that I've gone through a couple of times, this particular section of the DAF, I can't come up with a good answer, so I think I'm sort of putting it out there for our co-learners, maybe somebody 
else has a good answer. Um, so let me share what part I'm talking about. It's an Amembet Amud Aleph. So the Gemara is here in the middle of a discussion of if another food is brought out after sort of the main part of the meal is done, does one have to make a new blessing on that part, on that new food that's brought out? And um, one of the things it talks about is, is that um, there were some people who had a custom where they would put like a fragrant oil on their hands, right? Presumably, we'll see this on Daf Mem Gimel. People didn't really use utensils. They ate with their hands, so your hands probably did smell after eating. Um, and that once you put the oil on, maybe that signifies the end of your meal. So that if that additional food was brought before you did the oil piece of the meal, um, then that wouldn't be considered the end of the meal yet, and you wouldn't have to make this additional bracha. So the Gemara reads as follows, Amarab, Haragil B'Shem and Shem So somebody, Rav says, somebody whose uh, regular um, way of eating is that they would apply this oil. So the oil prevents the end of the meal, meaning it's not the end of the meal until this oil is applied. Amarav Ashi, Rav Ashi says, Ki Havinan Be Rav Kahana, right? When I was at, we were in the house of Rav Kahana. Amarlan Kagonani, Dirigilan B'Mishicha, Mishicha Ma'akvalan, right? And he, Rav Kahana said to them, that we, meaning the people in this house, we are accustomed to doing this thing with the oil, and therefore oil sort of delays the end of the meal. And But the Gemara concludes and says, the halacha is not actually like this. And now they quote a statement from Rabbi Chia, who interestingly here is quoting Rav Ashi and Rav, and this is going to be used as the proof that the oil does not delay the end of the meal, even though they just quoted Rav and Ravashi to say the oil can delay the end of the meal. And what Rabbi Chia basically does is he's going to mention here three rituals that we do, where part of the ritual is, is that there's an action that takes place and immediately after the next action has to take place. It's called tekef. And even in modern Hebrew today, we use that as a word to mean immediate. Um, and that, in other words, you can't do the one thing without the other action following right afterwards. And what are the three examples? Shalosh tikifotein. Okay, there are three immediates that have to happen. Tekap lesmicha shchita, right? As soon as you do smicha, so what was smicha? When an animal would be taken to be sacrificed as a korban, hands would be placed on it, sort of as a way of showing that uh, the person who's sacrificing the anim- animal, sort of they are putting themselves on the animal in place of them being sacrificed, the animals being sacrificed. So as soon as smicha is done, that laying of the hands on the animal, Shrita has to be done. The ritual slaughtering of the animal has to take place. Tekev fila. So this is one that we've seen before, that when we say the bracha after the Shema, Ga'al Yisrael, which mentions the miracle of Yitziat Mitzrayim, of the exodus of Egypt, right afterwards, you have to start Shemona Esrei right away. You can't take a break in between. So that's Tekev fila. And again, the idea about that is that we sort of come to the Shemona Esrei from a place of uh, God, uh, of, you know, mentioning this great miracle that God did from us before we get to the Bakasha, the request piece of the Shemona Esrei. And then the last one is Teket L'Nitilat Yadayim, Teket L'Nitilat Yadayim Bracha. That here we don't mean Nitilat Yadayim, like the washing of the hands before the meal. Here it's talking about Mayim Achronim. At the end of a meal, you would wash your hands again. Some people still do this custom. Um, and that as soon as you wash your hands, you would have to go straight into benching. So this relates to our, the overall discussion because the idea is, is that 
the meal ends with the benching. So presumably you wouldn't put this fragrant oil on your hands until after you washed your hands. And since you have to wash your hands and immediately afterwards you have to bench, the whether or not you use oil, the meal ends once you have benched. Um, so again, so what's being mentioned here is that there are three rituals that we do that the way to do them correctly is one action happens and then immediately after another action has to happen. There's a tech F there. Okay, but then we get to this is the piece that I have a question on. Amar Abaye. Abaye says the following. We also say that immediately when a Talmud Chacham enters a house, there is bracha, there is blessing. And what is the proof that he has for this? He quotes two interesting psukim, which are each examples of when a Talmud Chacham, okay, and we'll see the first case is Yaakov, the second case is Yosef, enters a house and a non-Jew has blessing to their house. So this is Lot talking. It's in Bereshit, Perak Lamed, Pesach Chav Zion, chapter 30, verse 27. Um, Yaakov is negotiating his exit from Lavan's house, and they're discussing how much he should be paid for all the work that he did for Lavan for so many years. And Lavan says to him that God blessed me because of you. But if you want, you could say it's from here. Right? And so this is Perak Lamatet Pasuke. And it's talking about Potiphar's house. And it says there that Yosef, um, that Potiphar's house was basically blessed because of Yosef. So I, under, I like what Abaye has to say. It's an interesting idea. But you know, a couple of things here. First of all, his comment isn't around ritual. This is sort of more about like an observation about life. Um, I think it's also interesting that the two examples he cites is specifically where you have a Jew who flees or sort of put in a non-Jewish household um, it, almost in a place that they shouldn't be and somehow blessing comes to that house. And it's also interesting to use the language of tekef, of it being immediate, because economic blessing, right, which is what both of them are talking about here, in the case of Yaakov and in the case of Yosef, is not something that we often see immediately. Normally, to see economic abundance, it's something that takes place over months, over years, but it's not like they walk into your house and immediately later, that blessing happens. But I think that is part of what Abai is trying to say, is that that bracha actually does happen right away. So I'm puzzled by the connection. Um, I don't really have a good answer of where, Abai, and it's sort of even put in as like factual, like, oh, we don't really have three tech Fs, we actually have four tech Fs. But this one is completely not around ritual. This is more of like a nice little agadita. Um, and I just don't really quite understand uh, sort of what its connection is um, to the, um, you know, to the previous uh, discussion around the three tekevs of um, of ritual. So I'm really leaving that as a question. I don't have a good insight. Um, and, you know, I'd be curious to hear, and what you have to say about that. Maybe that's really just still a question for you. Or if our learners, um, you know, also, you know, have an understanding of this, please feel free to reach out to me or leave it on our Facebook page. Um, but I'm just going to leave this as a question on this stuff. Well, I think it's a strong question that you're asking. Um, I do think that we, generally speaking, want things to line up thematically. And 
I would say not just linguistically, right? We want all these component parts to be parallel. And when they're not, so then they trigger this kind of question. And I think it's a strong one because so often there is that much more to it. And if there is, I'm not coming up with it right now either, but I'm wondering if perhaps the linguistic um, connection of takef is sufficient to put it there and then, and just leave it there, right? Meaning that the, the association is, is enough. Um, and I think the nice part of it is the immediacy. I mean, if you just look at this ca- this last case, well, when, if the Talmidi Chachamim come to your house, immediately upon, thereupon you have bracha in your house. So we can darshan that as well. We can get into the interpretation of what does it mean to have, you know, bracha. It doesn't mean economic bracha. It doesn't mean kavod. And if it does mean economic, then how can it be immediate? All of these questions that you've just asked. But, but there's something very... Um, nice about the acclaim of if you will be hospitable in your life to Talmidei Chachamim, you will reap the reward and immediately. And that immediacy, maybe it's enough to connect it. I'm hoping that perhaps somebody else has a, a more holistic or comprehensive approach that will link it better. But I do know, we do know that sometimes this is all the Gemara does. You know, that its connections are because one Rabbi said all these different statements, and then they're they are together, even though they don't have anything else um, to link them. So the fact that takeoff is not a common um, formulation, eh, maybe it's enough to put them all together. There's our dot for the day. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find us and rank us and review us wherever you get your podcast. You can join our WhatsApp group. You can find us on the Hadron site of Michelle Farber. You can. Join our conversation on our Facebook page. Please do, especially if you have answers to this last question. And until tomorrow, go and learn.